I think I need to clarify probably one thing right here at the beginning. I am wearing a bow tie. <laughs> I know. Um, <clears throat> it's, uh, it may, feel, may, may allow some of you to feel a little nostalgic, and that's good. That's good. Um, but that's really not why I'm wearing it. I had actually started out innocently enough. It was one of those things, a bunch of guys together. I'll wear one if you wear one. Why don't you preach in one? All right, if you guys wear them, I'll wear it. But it turned out, for me, anyway, we had planned this Sabbath um, far ahead, and, and, uh, and it turned out for me yet to be an act of solidarity. <laughs> it's true. Let me explain. My wife, uh, my, our family, um, this last week ex experienced somewhat of a tragedy, um, a difficult time. We had some friends over Saturday night playing games, um, having a good time. Got a phone call. A lady on the other end of the line said, um, do you have a dog named Princess? Said, yeah. There's a dog on the road named Tag. Says Princess, and this number was on it. Um, my mind you know, immediately was like, that's not, that's not our dog. Our dog, I just saw our dog in the backyard an hour or two ago. It's not her. Um, then I thought, what other dog has Princess with that name and this number? It's got to be our dog. Um, and our dog is a, a renowned escape artist. Leave the door cracked a little bit. She's gone. She got out about six months ago. Um, and uh, it was at night, and she almost got eaten by a pack of coyotes. Doesn't have very good luck. And uh, she made it back home that night, but you figure she would have learned her lesson about going out. Um, jumped into the car. One of my friends um, said, hey, can, can I go with you? I said, yeah, thank you. It was her. Um, she, was, she was there. She didn't look uh, very good. Broken leg, in shock. Um, rushed her to the animal clinic. And... Um, uh, after about an hour or so, x-rays, um, had to make the very tough decision to put her to sleep. Um, it, it, it's, it was hard because we've had this dog for 10 years. When we first got married, my wife and I, um, just a little puppy, um, raised her from, from uh, just a wee thing. She's had a good life, but um, it's always difficult. Um, I went home. Uh, Friend drove back home, and, um, and our friends were still there. Um, and uh, we, we just hung out. Um, they came over to talk, and, uh, well, we, we were going to watch the football game. So we ended up staying and watching the football game. It was late at the time. They should have gone home, but they decided to stay. And I'm grateful for their presence. Um, I'm not so happy that my team was utterly defeated and uh, is not going to the Super Bowl. But, um, yeah, they were there for me, and they watched me cry again. <clears throat> no, I didn't cry. <laughs> okay, I did. <laughs> but but, but it, it, that night, um, I, I again realized the value of relationships, the value of friendships, the value of having people in your life present with you, especially during the difficult times. Um, and so I wear a bow tie today as an act of solidarity. You may see some other guys wandering around. Yeah, just as someone who stands up and wears a 
wristband that's blue or yellow with others, and they say, live strong to those who are battling cancer. Just as a sports team wears armbands, their fallen comrade, so today I wear a bow tie. It's, um, uh, it's good to be in relationship. I wonder how many of you have been here with us the last two weeks as we've begun this new series, An Audience of One. Anybody been here the last week or two weeks? So you kind of have an idea of where we're going. Talking about an audience of one. Talking about what it means to live your life in the knowledge and awareness that God is your audience. It's not necessarily the community around you. It's not necessarily um, culture but you're living life in the audience of God. And you'll know the first week, Pastor Chris talked about what does that mean to live in the audience of God with our physical bodies? How are we then to live our lives and and treat our physical bodies, our waking and sleeping bodies, our eating and fasting bodies, our playing and our working bodies, everything that our bodies do? How do we live our lives with our bodies to please God. Last week, she, she talked a little bit about our resources, our finances, our money. She asked you to take your wallets out and to put them on your lap to symbolize everything that you have in your sphere, all of the resources, all of the money, all the finances that you have. And what does it mean to live in the presence of God with all of your resources? What does that look like? Today, We're going to an area that affects all of us, just as these other two do. The area of our living, our breathing, our talking, our interacting, the area of our relationships. You and I, um, being human means that we are in relationship. It's a fact of life. And uh, so today I think it's appropriate as we look at this idea of living in the audience of God. To what does that mean with our relationships. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to take your most important relationship and put it on your lap. But I want you to think for a minute now as as we begin to enter into this. Think of all the relationships in your life. Your relationship with your spouse, perhaps. With your mother. With your father. With your child or your children. Your relationships with your coworkers, Your boss with your teachers or your classmates, your relationship with your friends or even your enemies, perhaps. Because even though that's not a good relationship, it's still a relationship. Think of all the relationships, the sphere of relationships in your life. Now, I'm not sure what those are like for you. I'm not sure if they're good relationships. I'm not sure if you feel like you're in healthy relationships. Maybe some of them are healthy. Some of them maybe are not. Maybe you're in a place where you feel you are in good relationships right now. You're in a good place. You can't really think of anything that's going wrong or or bad in your relationships. And I'm glad you're here today. And I invite you to thank God for that. Because it's a gift. It's a blessing to have good, healthy relationships in your life. But perhaps some of you are here, and some of the relationships 
that you thought of just now are not the best and perhaps are very painful. Maybe some of you are in a marriage that's falling apart and you're in a lot of hurt. Maybe you've just um, experienced tremendous loss and there's a lot of uncertainty in, in some relationships. Maybe you're in relationships that are filled with conflict and you don't feel like going to work because you know what's at work. Or you don't feel like coming home because you know what's at home. You don't feel like having a conversation with your children because they'll just walk in their room and slam the door. Or your spouse. I don't know where your relationships are. But if they're there... It's my prayer as we open God's word this morning that God will be the God of comfort, hope, and courage to you today here in this place. And that you will know that you're in a community who values you and who wants to be here to support and encourage you. So I invite you to join with me. You know that we've been settled on a passage for this series, a passage found in the book of Romans. Turn with me there. It's not going to be on the screen. This is because... I think we need to get back to the Bible. Amen? Now, this is the Bible. Don't get me wrong. This is the Bible, but I think it does something good. If you don't have a Bible, there's one right there in the pew in front of you. It does good to actually feel the pages in your hands. So I invite you to turn with me to the book of Romans, the 12th chapter. And... Um, Read with me in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Right here in the very first verse, we have this urging, this injunction from Paul. In view of God's mercy, because of everything that God has done for us, his love and his grace to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. An offering not to somehow appease God or to make him like us or love us or bless us, but an offering as a response to God. There's a big difference there. An offering as a response to God out of gratitude of what God has done for us. Go into verse 2. Do not be conformed, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now here in verse 2, Paul begins to flesh out what this means, and I'm glad he does, because probably we're not so different than his original readers may have been, or hearers. As you hear this phrase, a living sacrifice, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, kind of makes you go, huh? Living sacrifice? Isn't that one of those oxymoron things? Living sacrifice? I mean, they were aware of sacrifices that back then, probably more so than we are today. But even then, you don't have a living sacrifice. If you do, it's not a sacrifice. So how does, what, Paul, what are you talking about? Verse 2, he begins to explain. And I'm glad he does. Do not conform any longer. Paul's saying this is what it means to be a living sacrifice. You do things different than a lot of people around you. 
you have a different way of looking at life, a different perspective, an altered reality. Now, it might not mean that you have to get one of those fish bumper stickers and put it on your car and drive around. Or maybe one of those license, have you ever seen those license plate holders? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? Or else, you know? You don't have to do that. That's not what it's talking about. It means a lot more. It means a lot more. Go back to that phrase, if you will, here in, in verse 2. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does this transformation happen in your and my life? How does it happen? I think this is the pivotal phrase. Um, the agent for transformation, the power to be a nonconformist, the ability to know God's will comes from this concept of renewing our minds. And as I began to do some research, it started to make, started to make sense. The word Paul uses here for the mind is the Greek word nos. In our culture, when we, use, when we hear the word mind or use the word mind, we're often referring to the part of us that's logical, that's rational, that's, that's um, the intellect, the reason. But in Greek culture, though, this word, nos, can actually be traced back to the root meaning, meaning to, to sniff. To sniff. And to sniff as a way of acquiring knowledge to the sense of smell. Nos. It's an interesting, uh, interesting idea. In early Greek literature and philosophy, like Homer and those kind of um, writers, nos refers not to an intellectual organ, not to an organ, but rather to a function, an ability to discover or to perceive the true essence of something against its surface appearance. The ability to discover the true essence of something against its surface appearance. For instance, it's might, it has been used to describe the ability to pick out a soldier, an enemy soldier that's been camouflaged in a pile of rocks. The ability to perceive something against its surface appearance. Here's a quote that I found that might be helpful to, to put it together more. The renewal of the nos, or the mind, is a reference to that element of human, of a human, that perceived the real essence of things. Most importantly, the presence of an invisible deity, or God. Then, the renewal of the mind would describe the believer's increasingly clear perception of God, and his will for their lives. Translated, simply saying, when we, you and I, offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God, when we say, God, here I am, all of me, every bit, my body, my finances, my relationships, everything, here I am, God does something in us. He renews our mind, our nos, he increases or he heightens our awareness of him. So what does this have to do with relationships? I'm glad you asked. It has to do with relationships because when God increases our awareness or ability to perceive him, he also increases our awareness of ourselves. 
and what we carry with us into our relationships. It's a well-known fact that a relationship is a two-way street. It's what two people carry into the relationship that creates the dynamics within that relationship. And I believe Paul is referring to God's desire to heighten our awareness or to help us to better understand who we are in context of who he is. Does that make sense? So as we think about relationships, Paul starts to address this area of our lives in the next couple of verses. He starts to get a little personal. And um, I just want to look at uh, a few of these verses with you. Um, and a few, three concepts, um, areas of our relationships that I believe God wants to impact. Start, go, go with me in verse 3, chapter 12 still. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Now, I imagine, um, actually I know from experience the last couple of years living among you here, that we don't have a lot of, a lot of our problem here. I've noticed, isn't that we have a lot of people with ego problems walking around the church. I don't know, have you noticed that? Well, maybe your wife would come up and tell me differently. But I, I, I haven't noticed that on the outside. I don't, I don't think we're a community of people who walk around with inflated egos on the outside. Don't see a lot of that. But I think there may be more of us here today who struggle with our concept of who we are, our self-worth, our self-esteem. And really, those two are pretty much symptoms of the same thing. They're connected. If we were honest with ourselves, we find ourselves on this continuum somewhere, someplace, I um, imagine we all wrestle with pride on some level. I think that's why Paul can speak so broadly, because he knows it will impact you and me. Here are some questions to bring it home a little more, and I don't want this to be a downer, but I want maybe you to ponder a little more. Are you someone who has a difficult time admitting fault when you're wrong? I don't want to see any elbows. This is personal. This is you. Do you have a hard time saying I'm sorry? Do things need to be done your way in your time? Do you get defensive and angry when somebody points out an area where perhaps you could grow? Or do you withdraw? Do the silent, passive-aggressive thing to get your point across? Maybe I've missed a question that's crafted just for you. But wherever you find yourself, one thing is for sure. When we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God, I believe God desires, to be, desires us to become more aware of the patterns of pride in our own lives. 
and to grow and develop within each one of us humility. Singing that song this morning, humble thyself in the sight of, of your Lord, and he will lift you up higher and higher. It's, um, I keep coming back to this verse, and I'll put it up here on the screen, Matthew 11, um, verses 28 to 30, a verse that I know a lot of us cherish. I'm not sure if we have it. I don't have it in my notes here, so I may have to turn to my Bible. There it is. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Humility comes when we lay ourselves down at Jesus' feet and say, Jesus, I'm coming to you. I'm tired. I am worn out. Teach me to be humble. Teach me to be humble. Go on with me to the next couple of verses. Not only does God desire to grow within us humility, but also, verse 4, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Do you get the idea? That Paul is saying, you all do a lot of diverse things. But we're all one body. We are all members of one body. Paul, it's amazing, Paul keeps coming back to this over and over throughout his writings of the importance of understanding and realizing that we are one family, you and I. We're brothers and sisters. We're the body. And we're all different. We're all diverse. Paul is painting in these pictures here a beautiful picture of unity in diversity. Why does Paul do this? Why does he keep coming back to this over and over? I'm not sure, but perhaps it's because Paul knows how interwoven the patterns of this world are within us when it comes to pride, to prejudice, to status, to favoritism, to racism. Paul knows how interwoven the patterns of this world are within us. And he keeps coming back. You all have different gifts. You all have different likes and dislikes. You have different abilities. You have different perceptions. You have different ways of looking at things. But you're all one body. Respect each other deeply. Don't just put up with each other. Don't just say, okay, you can stay over there and I'll stay over here. You do your thing and I'll do mine. No. Learn to respect each other deeply. 
I, um, I love this quote. Thomas Merton, um, fantastic, a fantastic mind and author, and he was a Trappist monk that lived in the early 1900s. 1900s, he died in 1960. It's kind of funny to think about that, early 1900s. But he wrote this quote. He, he says this. This is, this is powerful. The beginning of love is to let those we love be perfectly themselves. Hang on right there. Just let that settle in. The beginning of love is to let those we love be perfectly themselves and not to twist them to fit our image. Otherwise, we love only the reflection of ourselves we find in them. That's powerful. Let them be themselves and love them just the way they are. What would our lives look like? What would our community look like if we embodied this? God, I believe with all of my heart, as we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to him, desires to grow within us this kind of deep love and respect for each other. Finally, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. That's where we're going to stop right there. Have you ever seen love that was insincere? Have you? Have you ever experienced love that was insincere? Have you ever been asked the question, and I don't know why they do this to us, but does this make me look fat? <laughs> no, hun, no. Of course it doesn't. Or have you, have you overheard this conversation between two people? Hey, how are you? Oh, good, good, good. It's good to see you. Yeah, you too. Hey, you know, we really need to get together sometime. Yeah, yeah, okay, let's do it. All right, bye, see ya. Man, I can't stand her. Oh, she bugs me. How do we find ourselves so, so easily falling into patterns of insincerity? How do we do that? Uh, why do we find it difficult to tell the truth and to be open in honest, vulnerable communication with each other? Why is it easier to talk with someone else about someone else rather than to talk openly with that person you have an issue with? Maybe you've seen the back of this t-shirt. I thought it was good. <laughs> yeah. There are many things I love about being a pastor. Many, many, many. But there are a few things that are difficult. One of the difficult things is uh, when the pastoral staff receives communication, anonymous communication through a third party. Uh, for instance, on, on numerous occasions, myself or one of the other pastors have, um, have received notes from various church members um, about concerns or comments. Some, well, that's a nice way to put it. Some are fairly strong. Um... 
I understand. I understand the difficulty of having difficult conversations. To tell you the absolute truth, I'm an avoider at heart. I hate confrontation. I hate conflict. Really just ugh, gets me all, ugh. you know what I'm talking about? I'd do anything, you know, see somebody, I know it's going to be a difficult conversation, I will hide behind a car. <laughs> Something. I, it's not comfortable. It's, 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 yeah. But I've also learned that avoiding difficult conversations actually does more damage to the relationship than having the conversation. You notice that? Because you begin to resent that person more and more and begin to wish that you were not around them, you didn't have to be around them, and you begin to really begins to affect your whole life. Our pastoral staff at this church, and I can speak very confidently because we've spoken quite a bit about this for them, we value sincerity. We value open and honest and vulnerable communication with you. And that's our pledge to you. I know sometimes we don't often do it well, but that's our desire and that's our pledge. We desire this community, this church, this family, this body to be a safe place. So when we have disagreements, when we have different ideas, when we have differing opinions, we can come and we can still talk openly in love with each other because we value the relationships that are here. And if there's conflicts among you with one to another, we want to create safe and open and, and, and environments that you can feel safe doing that with each other. And that comes when you and I offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God. Say, God, this is me. This is who I am. I know this is difficult for me. But God, I want you to grow this sincerity within me. I want you to develop this honesty and this vulnerability within me. I want your mind, Jesus. That's our desire. We strive for this here at this church. Will you strive with us? Paul, in Ephesians, he says this, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Comes back to it again. God is an amazing God. I don't know why he's so patient with you and I. I don't. Because he loves us. Thank you. Thank you. And I hope that you and I, as we worship together in this place, in our lives at home, in our lives at work, and as we continually offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God, that God will do His work of transformation, of renewal in us. He'll heighten our awareness of who we are the weaknesses that we carry with us, and he'll give us the courage and he will begin the work of transforming us. Humility, respect, sincerity, that these will become part of us more and more as we live from day to day. Lord, 
take our hearts, for we cannot give them. They are your property. Keep them pure, for we cannot keep them for you. Save us in spite of ourselves, our weak, faltering selves. Mold us, fashion us, raise us into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of your love can flow through our souls. Amen.